We did it. I still can't believe we got this project done so fast and so well. When I'm in New York. I'm in Chicago. And I'm in L.A. But we're making it happen in Miro. Together. Our best work just happens faster on Miro's collaborative online whiteboard. No more scheduling meeting after meeting for work that could happen from anywhere. Whether it's getting design feedback here, mapping timelines here, or brainstorming next steps here. It all just happens on the Miro board. Exactly. And it's nice not having to wait an entire day to get sign off from this guy. Hey! Well, it is true. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com. The first three boards are free forever. That's M I R O.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Boys in the Band podcast. But before we get into this one, we've got a quick message from our sponsors. Now, we know that out there we've got lots of musicians, we've got lots of producers, fellow podcasters, even listening into these episodes. And I'm sure there's plenty of you out there who deal with audio files on a regular basis as well. And if you do, you know that it's easy to get lost amongst all of the various demos and versions of a file. Yeah, indeed. And we've been in touch with a new tech startup called Orcs, uh, who are looking for beta testers for their software. Anyone who signs up gets 10 gigabytes of free storage and the ability to easily share their files with collaborators and discover like-minded creators. Yeah, so if you've been frustrated by the clunkiness of storing and sharing music, then head to aux.app forward slash boys in the band. That's A-U-X dot A-P-P slash boys in the band, all one word. Sign up today to become a beta tester for their software and get that 10 gigabyte of free storage. Yep, get on that. And thanks very much to Orcs for supporting the Boys in the Band podcast. Uh, Speaking of which, let's get on with this week's episode. Hello and welcome to another Boys in the Band podcast bonus episode, another Minorities number one album with me, Peter Smith, and as ever, Rich Gallagher. How are you doing, Rich? Yeah, very well, mate. It's uh, yeah, great to have the boys from Air Traffic on this edition of the podcast and really enjoyed the long bit episode with them at the weekend. Great to sort of catch up on, on their story and, and also then in the aftermath, get the feedback from the listeners out there that are into the band and trying to track down uh, rare editions of their vinyl debut album and singles and ask them whether they're going to be uh, doing any more reunion shows too. Yeah, yeah, they had those big reunion shows, didn't they, a few years ago now. Uh, selling out in Belgium as well. That was an interesting yeah. story that I enjoyed from the pod, how you uh, suddenly go big in Belgium. But yeah, talking about rare editions, what was it, Rich, you had a CD of an early single? Yeah, yeah, so I had a double A-side single um, that was quite, I think the limit is 500 copies, but apparently 500 on vinyl, 500 on CD. And I think, yeah, when I was uh, trying to track that down at the time, the vinyl must have... Must have shot off the shelf straight away, and I had to make do with the CD. Uh, but yeah, I think as I saw, as people might have seen from from the Insta stories over the weekend, I had multiple versions of, of that debut single. So I had the double A side, and then when they released Charlotte again, they got both vinyls. There was a two part and the CD single and the album. Yeah, I just thought oh, I've got to get the lot. Um, I obviously thought they would be rare collectibles. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll put them up on eBay now. See what we can get for them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, we asked uh, uh, Jim Maddock and David Jordan from Air Traffic what their favourite albums were from the 2000s for their Minorities number one album. And here's what they went with. So, Jim, David, thanks for joining us on another episode of Minorties number one album. Jim, why don't you kick off? Which one are you going to go for? 
I'm going to go with Boy in the Corner by Dizzy Rascal. Nice. We've not had this one yet. No one's picked this one so far, but yeah, yeah, this is definitely a standout album from that era, isn't it? It's and uh, well, Jim, you can talk about it. It's your album, not not it's your album, actually not mine. (laughs) But it's a real crossover album, isn't it? Because this is like, yeah, crossing genres. This album definitely. This, I mean, when I first heard this album, I hadn't heard anything like it before. You know, I was I was exposed to a whole new genre of music which I didn't know existed, and it just sounded so fresh. the vocal, the way he, you know, the way he talks, the way he he raps in that album is just something I'd never really heard before with the, you know, I'd be exposed to US hip hop, but never kind of UK grime, you know, so it was completely new for me, but totally blew me away when I heard it. And it really kind of, it gave me, uh, you know, it, it made me feel like, um, it really felt like it was made in London. Um, as someone that was, you know, coming from Bournemouth, it, it like just sounded like it couldn't be made in Bournemouth, like it had to be made in London. And um, for me, yeah, it's just a really iconic album. Um, probably opens uh, me to kind of like a lot more other hip hop stuff, which is kind of stuff I tend to listen to these days, personally. So yeah, that's uh, Boy in the Corner is probably my my standout album from that era. Yeah, really enjoyed because I remember sort of that sort of garage scene in London when those sort of late nineties, early two thousand, I guess it was, wasn't it? And and it was a really important time for for the development of grime as it as it would become. But I think. I think what really struck me about that album was Dizzy Rascal was was a you know authentic part of that scene, and I remember hearing you know songs like "I Love You" you know in Gary Clubs back in the day, uh, but then when he actually came and delivered this polished album that wasn't just you know what you'd hear every every Saturday night in a garage club, there were some serious tunes on there, and, and as you say, his vocal was so distinctive, and you know the samples, you know you think about the the lead single fix up look sharp you know the, the, the billy is it billy squire um mm-hmm. sample on there absolutely yep. you know a golden choice uh, and yeah he really delivered on that and won the mercury prize i think is that right yeah i think he did yeah, yeah. so i mean yeah well done dizzy rascal yeah that was, yeah. It was so good that <laughs> album <laughs> i think i think um i was i was just amazed at the time but he kind of you know wrote all the beats and stuff as well like i guess my my sort of exposure to hip-hop was that most most um sort of uh rappers would like sort of you know um talk over pre-made beats and stuff you know stuff that other people had made but when i kind of found out like he made the he made the music he made the beats like basically in his spare time pretty much in college i think and then he you know then he rapped over it that's like i was like wow this guy is like seriously talented uh you know that was yeah really amazing album to to hear totally opened my my ears to kind of a whole new world really yeah. yeah and like you guys started young as well i think uh i love you he did when he was like 16 so i remember you know just put that into perspective for us as well jim because we mentioned it a few times on the main pod um about air traffic how young you guys were um i remember you talking about sort of an enemy review which hit you quite hard because you know you young guys haven't got that sort of world experience but what what so what's it like being in that in that that big world of the music industry at quite a tender age still. Yeah. I mean, when it's, when it's going well, it's great. You're just kind of rolling with it. But when you have these kind of moments where, where things aren't going as you planned, it's, it was, it was tough to deal with at the time. Um, And there wasn't really anyone like we didn't, I personally didn't have any like uh, people that could kind of understand the situation we were going through like the only people that would have understood would have been the other guys in the band and i think um you know they would have probably had the same problems that i did to be honest with you so 
it was tough right i think um you know a lot of stuff was like um there would be meetings and stuff about you know about the band and with the label with our management and obviously we're not tend we don't tend to be part of those meetings that's like management job to be part of those meetings and so i think you know a lot of stuff was kind of um filtered back to us and kind of maybe like um in some ways like it would, it would get our hopes up uh really a lot sometimes um and then they'd be kind of like maybe dashed the next week when we you know something else happened so it was always it was always like quite a tense time really like we we're always i was kind of always on the edge of my seat about what was going on behind the scenes you know and you know we did we tended to like take bad news quite badly i think um uh and you know good news was great but it was kind of uh, it didn't hit as it didn't hit as much as the bad news so you know in my mind like i i mainly remember bad um the bad things because but when i look back at it there were so many amazing achievements and things we went through at the time um which almost we didn't really appreciate as much as we should have you know because they were mm. absolutely incredible times like you know the jewel like playing on jules holland playing big festivals playing you know shepherd's bush empire all that sort of stuff was just like incredible but yeah it certainly was it was really tough i think as a young man to kind of um you know basically someone writing about you in like the press is quite is quite tough and yeah, um, that's sure. pretty much what it is yeah i guess at least you had those bandmates whereas I guess for someone like dizzy it's you're a bit even more exposed aren't you as a as a young person just as a solo artist david is that something you obviously you're in the industry as well is that something you sort of notice that pressure on on people when they're coming through at a young age yeah i mean it's you know it's 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 sort of brought up in meetings as well it's like you know how how young how what's the age of this person the younger the better because it's mm. a real selling point if they're only like oh god i can't believe they're 16 and they've written this song and it's mm. they've got big fan base um but we all know that careers in the in the music industry you know they're not that long you know they can be a couple of years you can have a huge first album and then that's almost you know you know the, the second album is going to have to be much bigger or it's going to look like a look like a failure mm. so it's got it's, it's so much pressure on 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 these on these kids nowadays to uh to be successful when you know labels are pumping lots of money into these artists as well and you know and they want to see a return uh it, it's it's you know it's, it's it's a cutthroat business it is it is what it is you know and mm. uh some is, are lucky yeah. some are lucky and they have long careers and then you know yeah and he's, he's still going strong now as well isn't he so um nice yeah great choice jim um david what are you gonna go for so I'll, I'll go with um, uh, the, the first Arcade Fire album, The Funeral, um, mainly because I just really remember it from, it was in my car when I was driving up to London to do rehearsals with the band and play gigs. And it was just something that, it just sounded like no other thing, a, a band at that time. And I was really into, I was way more into sort of American bands uh, and I know, I know they're Canadian, but I was way more into the bands for overseas than I, than I was uh, like the UK scene, to be honest. Um, and I just thought it, I thought the album sounds absolutely fantastic. I listened to it the other day and it still sounds just as good. It's really raw. It hasn't dated. The, the guy sounds like he's in real pain when he's sort of singing. <laughs> and there, there's a, and there, there, there are anthems in there as well. Do you know what I mean? It's a really just really beautiful sounding record from start to finish. There's something for everyone on that record, I think. And it's, yeah, I, I, I think, I, funnily enough, I haven't really 
listen to any of their other albums afterwards. I listened to the Neon Bible album a bit, but it was all about that first record for me. Really powerful. What's your, your sort of standout tune from that one? I always think Rebellion lines yeah, is I just like, so anthemic, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love the sort of yeah, like the the you know the 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 calling and the answering. Yeah, from the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and then you got like the, the wake up track, which is the kind of like you got that sort of distorted guitar riff at the beginning, and then it goes into like an, a sing along sort of anthem where you, it could be in any you know in any stadium or, or arena, um, and then you got like a beautiful ballad in there. It's just I just think it's an absolutely brilliant album. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think what was uh, amazing about it as, as a debut, it was it was instantly ready for arenas and stadiums. It has that sound, doesn't it? And yeah. Now, I don't know if, if you've seen them live, they, they, they're just so captivating and the, the power that they generate, you know, the connection they get with their audience. I think, yeah, re- really, really, uh, really impressive. Yeah. And, you know, and, they, you know, they, they could, one of those bands that could, you, you could see them and they'd be brilliant in any size venue as well. I think. Yeah. Yeah. See them in a really small venue and it'd be the energy coming off from that band and those songs would be phenomenal. Yeah. So. Great shout! Two, oh. yeah, two good albums, aren't they? Two, uh, two albums that I think both you guys said of two artists who've done things a little bit differently. But uh, and two albums I don't think we've had rich so far. So good shouts! Yeah, very good shouts. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. Yeah, yeah, thanks for coming on and talking about air traffic, and thanks for picking your minorities number one albums, guys. Been good to have you on. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So there we have it. Two distinct choices from Jim and David there. Dizzy Rascal, Boy in the Corner, and Arcade Fire Funeral. Interesting, we were just talking there, Rich, about Arcade Fire being suitable for all sorts of different venues, and uh, as well as arenas. And I saw them at the O2 Arena, I think in 2010, I think it was December 2010, which yeah. I think was probably a promo tour. Well, it must have been the promo tour for the Suburbs album, which came along a couple of albums later. Yeah, I was thinking, I saw them the same year, sort of in, um, in the summer. They, uh, they played Red in the Leeds, and um, yeah, it was actually, I think it was one of the first reunion gigs for the Libertine. So actually saw over the weekend as well, uh, back in, in, in London, Kentish Town at the weekend. But yeah, that was back in 2010. That was one of their first tours coming back. And I think if my memories, obviously hazy <laughs> memories, uh, perhaps served me right. It was Libertines were followed by Arcade Fire. Arcade Fire were headlining. And I remember there was, you know, I went specifically to see the Libertines and almost like half thought, well, should we go now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't really follow the Libertines, but actually Arcade Fire were absolutely incredible. And, and yeah, like you say, whatever venue, whether it's a tiny venue, a big arena, huge open field, uh, a, a festival like Reading, they really do connect with their audience massively. Yeah, awesome live band. That's certainly what I remember from that O2 gig. I'm not sure I'd be good for anything after watching Libertines. I'm, normally when I see them live on, Absolutely doused in sweat and uh, exhausted by the end of it. Obviously, I missed out this weekend. Rich, how were they on Saturday night? Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a really good show. Amazing to see see the boys back on stage again. Um, yeah, one of those when you get there, you think, oh, is this going to be as good as ever? Like, because you know, I think when they first started coming back, it was such a novelty to get them back on stage together. And now they seem to be doing these tours, you know, fairly regularly. Obviously, it's been a little while with the pandemic in between and whatever. You think, oh, is it going to lose its lose its, uh, its its appeal but no chance those those songs are so good the band are still so tight actually i think carl and peter probably better than ever together on stage and gary holding it together as ever uh, he was looking brilliant in bright green uh, on, on the drum kit um yeah amazing gig really enjoyed it and 
there's a few uh, boys in a band podcast flyers oh. flying around as well yes good took the opportunity to do a bit of marketing i like that yeah <laughs> and i see they've have they announced new dates for later in the year as well haven't they is it 20th anniversary of up the bracket i think that's right that's right yeah yeah, yeah they played, so, played a few shows for that as well i have to get along to that one i was scuppered by the uh coronavirus delays to that that gig on Saturday, which was supposed to take place quite a long time ago, actually, wasn't it? Now got put off and put off, and uh, eventually I, I was uh, otherwise engaged. But hopefully, I catch them again later in the year. Always worth seeing. But uh, well, I have to look out for whenever Arcade Fire are back in town as well. So after talking to the boys about that album, so I got my juices flowing for them. Had that album on again the other day. So yeah, thanks again to Jim and David from Airtrap for joining us for this week's edition of the Boys in the Band podcast. Uh, stay subscribed and hit us up on our social media channels and uh, keep you posted on our upcoming episodes. See you soon. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future too and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance, so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value.